Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of The Followers. Today we're joined by guest Stephen Behan who's going to draw on all of his previous experiences working as a GPO, hosting the Coaching Bubble podcast and his own PhD research looking at fundamental movement skills. Stephen, very welcome aboard. Thanks John, thanks for having me lads. Before, we might as well just got stuck straight in. If you want to give us some of your background around getting into your first GPO role and how that brought you forward into your research area then yeah no problem at all um yeah so i probably took a a a, a secure uh not a very straightforward route into uh into what i'm doing at the moment uh, a cabinet maker started out as a cabinet maker by trade um do that for a while and then uh, went traveling australia across asia and uh, the, the usual and then came back and um i decided that i wanted to do something different and the GPO roles were um, just sort of coming online. I was in maybe the second wave of games promotion officers for anyone who's not familiar with them for Dublin GAA. Um, so that's how I started getting into, I'd coached up to that. I'd, I'd done plenty of coaching, but I suppose the the GPO role then really focused. Um, that was my job basically was to promote Gaelic games as best I could. So if anyone is familiar with the system in dublin it is it's brilliant like it really is brilliant nearly every school a primary school in the in the county gets gets coaching um on a regular basis and and provides real a real good outlet and i got to see a huge range of that i, I suppose i we started off in um trinity gales and st monica's um so two areas in the north side of dublin um some of the schools that i would have been working in would have been classed in the desh bands like so disadvantaged areas but the people that were uh, running those clubs were they were absolute heroes they were phenomenal like you know um they're keeping the show on the road and providing an unbelievable outlet to kids um in in certain areas uh, not all of them but in certain areas and and keeping them keeping those kids engaged and um but then i also got to see the, the total other end of the spectrum um i was then in clontarf uh, ga club so uh clontarf would be a, a really good area in terms of demographics and uh the the challenge then was numbers as in they had huge numbers and it was how do you cope with numbers how do you keep the quality of coaching as high as possible with those big numbers and how do you put structures in place to ensure you keep as many of those numbers as you possibly can throughout so yeah i think that's um uh, that's about 10 years of my life in two minutes there uh john your own club is nafina isn't it that's right yeah 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 that's right uh, you'd be a very large club as well would you? you'd have like yeah. a gpo in place and all yeah, hundred percent. We, we yeah, we're massive, and it's funny enough now. Like I know, uh, I'm not sure when this has gone out or that, but um, last year, even through COVID, we actually grew in numbers, uh, which was mental. Um, our nursery was probably the only thing that was on. Um, so when we came back after the summer and before the schools locked down again, we we set up our nurse. Our nursery used to be half nine to eleven o'clock on a Saturday morning, and now. Uh, well, sorry, when we were allowed to do it, it was, um, we started at half eight and ran till 12 because we had to make it socially distant, pods, of et cetera, et cetera. And uh, the numbers just exploded. Uh, the girls side in particular, we, we now have more girls than boys in some sections of the nursery, uh, which is fantastic. Um, and I think it's a blend of, there wasn't a huge amount on and a lot of indoor activities had been cancelled or, or, or they weren't able to, to, to continue. And also the, the guys who organised the nursery down there a um, guy called Michael Carr is the coordinator and, and our GPO Mark McManus they're just phenomenal and they just put on 
such a really cool service uh really age appropriate they support the coaches they support the parents uh, and yeah it's it's been brilliant to see uh, my own niece is is now first year of the nursery so that's my Saturday mornings taken up now for the foreseeable but um it's great to see it really was uh like especially with all the all the down the the dourness of 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 covid and lockdown and stuff but this was it was great to see on a Saturday morning and you could get down and and so in a socially distant and safe manner see the kids flourish you know and just when you were in Clontarf would Jack McCaffrey have been coming through at that stage were you the one who put a football in his hand first I wish I could say that I wish I could say that no 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 Jack was Jack was well in his way by the time I, I arrived there but uh his family would have been huge Noel would have been one of the drivers of the nursery in Clontarf from back in the day um and Noel actually was I think he was one of the the, the main proponents of the go games um when they were actually originally originated himself and Niall Miner I think did an awful lot of work on them and small sided games and Noel used to have the kids turn up to nursery uh, with a red sock on on their strong foot and a white sock on their their weaker foot um and stuff like that for working on on skills and uh, stuff like that again they're very lucky to have a, a phenomenal nursery coordinator down there a guy by the name of matt o'neill who uh who just <laughs> he's just incredible he just drives it and drives it and drives it and, and there's no let up but but also he's fantastic at engaging the young people in the club that the transition years the teenagers and he, he drags them down on a saturday morning which is no mean feat but the kids respond to to the younger crowd so well like and it and you just see you can see those numbers coming through they they they're, they're going to have a a bright future ahead as a club i think in terms of the success and the the amount of kids that they're bringing through it's a brilliant experience for ty as well to get in there and be on the ground and see like just even developing people skills and showing the younger people what to do and stuff and all like that and, de- and dealing with the odd tantrum and everything as well yeah dealing with parents as well a lot of life lessons learned for them it's invaluable, I suppose, if you're in fourth year and you're thinking, oh, I'd like to do coaching along the line. It's a big kind of, oh, this is actually what coaching is really about moment when you're doing with kids. As regards to like, them, say, seeing coaches at a professional level on TV being like, oh, sure, you're just a tactics man. Whereas it's, there's so much more that goes into it. And it's good to learn that before you kind of made any career decision. 100%. And we, we would have gone into the schools and we would have put, given them a, like a foundation course so that like they'd get their certificate at the end of it and they, they did it did like the, the Garda Vetting and the, the Child Safeguard and all that sort of stuff. And as well as that, then we'd team up with the school and, and we'd provide, we'd sign off for their volunteer hours for their Gashka Award and stuff like that. So you make it a really complimentary process and it's everybody's getting something out of it. And the kids originally sign up for 12 weeks, but most of them would keep coming for 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 throughout and um it's testament to matt and the gang that are down there that they they just the environment was so so uh welcoming and and fun they really enjoy it you know like they mightn't enjoy getting up on the saturday morning but once they were there they actually really enjoyed uh, getting stuck in and, and having the crack with the kids that Gashka link is so important because even see now with the, the future leaders program which i think if done well can really dovetail that link between schools and coaching at a young age and bringing it across into the younger schools then as well from all of the coaching you did that kind of led you on to do a little bit more research and stuff particularly the the masters you went into there in ucd can you tell us a little bit about that and how you got into it first yeah so like i suppose i was in the uh, doing a gpo job for nearly 10 years at that stage and don't get me wrong i love that job like i really really did enjoy it but at the same time it's a it's a young person's game sometimes because you'd be in maybe five or six classes a day or in terms of the schools and and then you have your a lot of coaching and coach education and stuff like that so 
can get tiring. So I wanted to try and expand if I, my knowledge if I could. Um, I felt that I had a really good practical um, coaching experience and a practical application to my coaching, but to maybe back that up with the theory as well. Um, but I was really apprehensive. Like I, like I had no real college experience beforehand and, and, and certainly anything that I would have had would have been 10 or 12 years previous. So when I went back, uh, I went for the master's in coaching in UCD, the coaching and exercise sciences, it was called then. I think it's just science of coaching now. But um, I was really, really lucky because when I reached out, um, the module coordinator at the time, um, Dr. Brendan Egan, he gave me an awful lot of help and guidance I suppose he just said, look, when you're go- when you're applying that these are the, the, the things we look out for, but don't be stressed out about the lack of academic experience because we have a system called uh, recognized prior learning where you can potentially come through that way as well. So that's the route I went, uh, got in, was lucky enough to get in um, and uh, I absolutely loved it. I just loved it because what I found was in one sense, it was an affirmation because I knew all the practical coaching stuff and now I was getting the theory as in, oh, I did that already actually i just didn't know that's what it was called does that make sense so i found that like i i, I got I gained a lot of confidence from it thinking yeah actually I'm, I'm doing all right here um i just didn't realize that's what it was called or i didn't realize that was the framework i was using does that make sense yeah i know that makes perfect sense and, and just slightly looking at that from a different viewpoint now that you're kind of gone more down the academic route still obviously involved in coaching but if someone had come from a largely academic or theory based route into a coach and masters like that do you think it would have been as much benefit or would they really have had to focus more of their free time on getting hands-on experience yeah no i i I, i'm very lucky in the the way it worked out for me and that i had that practical experience to to reflect on so like with the greatest intention in the world you can go straight in without having any experience and you will learn the science absolutely but if you can't relate it or you can't practice it and and the biggest thing for me was being able to learn how to reflect on my actions so like i remember one part of um one one of the lectures uh a guy by the name of Do- uh, seamus kelly dr seamus kelly he um did the science of coaching right and he's brilliant he's brilliant you had three hour lectures but they fly by He'd be telling stories and he's interviewed some of the, the top coaches around the world. And um, he made us do a task of thinking about a, a training session or a coaching session. I can't remember the exact context, but then we had to reflect on it and what we do better. And even just that simple thing, it was like a trigger in my head. And even though I, I preach this in coach education as in plan, re- review and do plan, do review and blah, 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 and all this type of things, it just clicked in my head as in, Jesus, this, this is not just something you do once this is this is all the time this is constant this is this constant spiral and this is how you get better you do something review it reflect do it again a little bit better a little bit better a little bit better and you get this sort of the stairway effect and and it just clicked and and i think from that i i don't know if i would have got that same benefit if i had no coaching experience going into it if that makes sense because i wouldn't have been able to put context on what i was learning so um i think and I'm not taking away, like, I wish I had done more in college when I was younger, if that makes sense. But at the same time, I think practical experience, all the theory in the world means nothing when you're thrown into a class full of 37 year olds and some of them want to play football, some of them want to play hurling, some of them don't want to do anything. And you have two lads kicking lumps out of each other down the back. So that goes out the window, uh, coaching frameworks and theories when, you, uh, when you're in a, in a practical situation. 
What were some of the other modules you looked at in that master's? Yeah, so the six modules, um, let me see, science of coaching, um, performance analysis in uh, and how that reflects on your coaching, um, strength and conditioning, skill acquisition, um, sports psychology, and sports nutrition and physiology. So it was... Uh, it was brilliant because it gave me a, a, I suppose, a bird's eye look of all these different performance metrics and how they could feed into my own coaching. And while you might be thinking, oh, sure, what the hell would that, how would that relate to coaching four and five-year-olds and 10-year-olds and stuff like that? It, it's, it, it doesn't directly, but it gives you a better picture of what you're aiming to get them to be. So if you're aiming to get these kids to be the best athletes as possible, well, now I know what they should be doing. And let's say, here's what they should be doing at an elite level, right at the top. These are the type of things we want to be able to do. So now I can start working backwards from that. They're not all going to be elite. You'd be lucky if 1% 1 of them will be elite. But it doesn't matter. It doesn't stop you from trying to make them as best you possibly can, you know? Now, those modules, it's, it's a really good broad range of what's involved in coaching. And even though like you were relating it back to five, six, seven-year-olds, like you may not be with that age group forever and any coach going into it you're not going to be with the same age group same cohort maybe not even the same sport for the full i suppose career of your coaching plus you'll often find as well that those who go in with the aim of working at the top level to try and adapt from the top level to anywhere else can actually be really really hard whereas if you're starting from a much lower level it's much much easier to build up towards and give something to the top level when you've come from somewhere else as opposed to the other way around yeah i think so and i think um i think some people really struggle with that i, I see it all the time in, in let's say uh people who played at a really high level going back excuse me going back in to coach their kids or their kids teams and because they're so used to that high level one they need to be nearly re-educated re into what's required at the younger level but two um there might be a sense of frustration that well why can't they do this? Do you know what I mean? Why can't they do what I could do if that makes sense? And I think um, that's why coach education is so important. And it's great to see like, so when I did that master's, that was 2014 or 15, I think when I did that, there was only that master's had only just started. And I think there was one other master's in UL at the time, uh, coaching uh, sports performance. Um, but now there's other things, different things uh, um, popping up all around the country and, and beyond. Um, like in DCU, for example, Anya McNamara came in last year and now there's a there's a prof doc in elite performance and then there's a master's in elite performance starting up in September but elite performance is not just let's say uh, the the Olympic athletes like elite performance is being as good as you possibly can be coaching or what in whatever you're doing with whatever group you're working with so for me that could be as good as I possibly could be with the nursery in my own club does that make sense so like it's great to see so much of these so many of these things starting up and, and i suppose for me coaches are hugely undervalued in ireland like uh, and i don't mean in a professional sense as in people getting paid i just mean in general they're taken for granted they're, but i think people hopefully if one good thing comes of covid that people will put a value on on coaches all those volunteer coaches around the country who provide such an outlet to kids to being active to being healthy to to socialize with other kids and 
I, I hope anyway that, that more value is it will be put on the coach. You know? And uh, Stephen, in, in, in your experience with the few clubs uh, that you've been in, uh, obviously, especially amongst GAA circles, you know, it, it's all volunteerism. Uh, it's people in the club, uh, parents, that kind of thing. Have you seen much of an uptake um, just around parent groups, uh, people who, you know, offer up their time in getting themselves into maybe more coaching courses that, possibly aren't provided, you know, through the clubs, just through their own interests, through, I suppose, maybe uh, an interest that might have been spiked just from giving a hand uh, or across the weekend or something like that. Have you seen any increase in that? Um, yes. Yeah. I, yeah. Um, I think it's hard at the moment because it's like really hard to do a coaching course online, you know, like it's, it's really difficult. Um, and and uh, it, the GA are, are, I suppose, and in, in, in our GPO is doing it and they're doing their best, but it's, it's, it's hard. Like whatever chance you have of convincing someone to turn up on a Saturday morning to come down and we'll do a bit of coach ed or whatever, it's harder then to get them to log on or even if they do log on and the screen is off and you don't know if they're, in, you just don't know if they're engaging, you know. Um, but what I do think is, is like with the, the advent of, these new like that's more formal education but there's lots more webinars and people are open now to to expose themselves to that and there's podcasts and there's so many different resources out there now that i suppose the key for us let's say taking nafina for example the key for us now is trying to keep the the right message going out okay so people might listen to a podcast with uh I don't know, someone like Stuart Lancaster and it's, he's talking about how they do and Stuart is brilliant, like talking maybe about an elite performance setting in terms of Leinster rugby or, or in previous life with English rugby. But that's not necessarily what we want to the nursery coaches listening to, if that makes sense. So it's just, I suppose, there's so much out there now, which is just keeping people guiding them into into, I suppose, coach education where we feel is the most value for what the, the, the point that they're at in their coaching journey at the moment. And as a tutor, I, I'd be inclined to say as well that doing particularly a foundation online, I think you'd lose so much of the potential value from doing it online because like when you're there tutoring and you split them up into different groups, go, okay, go away and put something together for this scale. I love when they're with someone from another club and like they might spend during a group for 10 minutes, but they spend two or three minutes talking about the skill and the activity. It's the other chats around like the difficulties we have with getting some of our t- under 10s up to the field. Oh, I just, I can't keep their concentration. And someone else has had that, but has solved it. And that sharing in those little groups is so, so important. And you lose out on an awful lot of that for an online course. Eh? 100%. And and just just the fact of being in the room together uh, or on the pitch together and getting to see a practical example of something, right? And it's not a bit you don't go and uh, so people turn up to coach education at, expecting to go away with a load of drills right a load of drills and a load of games and yes they will get drills and games but they're available that's the easy bit the other bits are the how to coach bits like the the relationships the communication the how to give feedback the 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 pats on the backs when needed or the kick up the arse when needed and the small things that's it's impossible to get across online without getting that practical example that's the thing we're really missing out on i feel um and like it's very very easy to give a coach ed sort of a session in terms of technical and tactical tactical online but the the real like they call them the soft skills whereas they're probably the most important skills like how to actually communicate with people and kids and how that changes as they get older etc how that might differ from a boy to a girl all these things are massively important and that's really really difficult to get across online like I could give a, a webinar about it or you could, John, but 
how much of that information is actually taken across. And it goes back to my earlier point. If you don't have context, if you can't put it into context, it's really difficult. Um, I, I love Anya McNamara's in DCU, and I know I mentioned her already, but her, uh, her quote of it depends is, is brilliant because she, she's dead right. There's no one right answer to, in a coaching context. It, it, it always depends, you know? It depends on the age. It depends on the level they're at. It depends on how many coaches you have. It depends on the, the level the coaches are at. You know, so um, like it, it's, it's sometimes I think people feel like it's a cop-out answer, but it's not. It's really, really relevant. Uh, I could stand up and say, no, this is the answer. This is how you should do it. And this is how you should do your fundamental movement sessions with your kids. And people will say, oh, well, Stephen studied all that. He must know that. But at, at the same time, it does depend. I'm it's great to hear. To no, no, it's, it's great. To, it's great to hear you say that. Um, I, I even this week alone, I've been to nutrition talks that I've been uh, giving and you get these very direct questions and you come back with, well, it depends. And you can just see people go this fella. But it, it, it's you know, trying to get that information across to people. And the context is so important. That's great to hear. And towards the end of your master's then, obviously you have to go do a research project and that kind of set you up for not just one little MSE thesis, an awful lot more, which has probably formed yeah. a huge part of your life the last few years. What was that? Yeah, so uh, I suppose just to give a bit, take a step back again. So I was obviously doing loads of classes in, in uh, schools um, and I was in um, I was in really, really good schools. Like they were brilliant schools um, and they're brilliant teachers and on the whole, a really active, like healthy cohort. Um, but yet there were still some kids that no matter what I did or what I tried, they had zero interest in taking part in the GAA style games that I'd be doing, right? And I could understand that, right? They just don't like GAA games. That's fine. So they don't like Camogie. They don't like hurling. They don't like football. Grand. But then you'd be chatting to a teacher or you'd see that they'd have no interest in any activity. And these kids are only 9, 10, 11. And I just couldn't get my head around this. I'm like, like, these, like this is mad. When I was a kid... I was outside all the time, literally playing every sport I could. And the curfew for me was streetlights come on. It's, it's time to go home, you know, um, and it's gas. We were very, in, in one sense, like we were lucky. We, we lived at the end of a cul-de-sac and there was this patch of square tarmac outside the house and still there. But like there was a, there was two tree. No, there was a, a telegraph pole and a tree on one side of the square. And on the other side, there was a tree and a bin. And that was our two goals. And this was a pitch. And our neighbors who were still like lifelong friends with were still there. Uh, every day we'd be able to be hurling, we'd be footballing, we would be everything on this little square of tarmac. And uh, I'm sorry, I'm digressing here, but but that was our training pitch when we were kids, you know. It was a disaster though. The tree and the goal, the tree and the bin it was a little bit wider than the other one, and there'd be all sorts of rails over goals going in. But um the, yeah, so so that's what started me off. So I started looking at the research and, and what sort of stuff um, drives this motivation to be involved in activity and stuff like that. So I came across fundamental movement skills and I said, oh, this looks interesting to me. Um, so basically fundamental movement skills are the basic building blocks to being active, right? So the idea being is if you picture a pyramid and across the bottom of that pyramid, you have a load of uh, simple skills, running, jumping, hopping, skipping, throwing catching kicking etc right real simple skills and these are your foundation and think of these as your foundation that if you ha nail all these skills if you have a good range or a good level of mastery of these skills that you'll be able to do you'll be able to have a go at any activity you want 
Okay, so for example, you're asking an eight-year-old to do uh, play a game of Gaelic football. Great. In what's involved in that? There's running, there's bouncing, there's catching, there's kicking, and then there's loads of evasion, there's dodging, there's changing direction, and then there's actual contact as well. So you can't just ask a kid to do that with no basic skill level of anything else in the first place. Okay, and if we do, we're putting them at a serious disadvantage, right? So imagine having that kid having a good base in all those skills. That kid's able to link those skills together and that kid's able to, to actually progress. Um, so that's what I started looking at because the research, Australia were miles ahead at the time and they looked at kids' proficiency levels uh, in these basic movement skills and they tracked them over time. And they were, the kids with the higher levels of uh the higher proficiency levels of these basic skills were more active as teenagers. So that's what I decided to look at. And I, I suppose I'll come back to the fundamental movement skills in a minute. But I looked at classes. Um, so I did 10 minutes a day, four day, uh, sorry, 15 minutes a day, four days a week. And I did that with a boys class and a girls class. And I assessed pre and post and I did a control group as well. Uh, so I did nothing with them. And we went back and tested six weeks apart. The, the difference was unreal like the, the, the their basic skill level went through the roof i think it was 23 24 percent i can't remember my supervisor would be screaming at this if he if he ever listens to it that i'm probably totally misquoting it but I, I just couldn't get over it but but for me the biggest thing wasn't what was part of my my thesis right so the thesis was just literally objectively looking at the skills the biggest thing for me was the feedback from the teachers right this didn't go into the thesis but they would say oh yeah it was unreal as soon as we did that first thing in the morning and then i went in and straight away i did maths or straight away i did irish whatever the, the tricky subject was because it was like they got the giddiness out of them and they were tuned in so this this sort of feedback to me i was like there has to be something more in this like this is this is mad and that's i suppose where moving well being well the idea for it started was born in terms of looking at this bigger and better so um went off and and looked for the the expertise within ireland and it happened to be in dcu um uh, johan ustetel uh sarah jane belton uh, so johan is who i made first contact with um noel mccaffrey gave me the introduction um and yeah it's gone it's gone from there met with johan we decided yeah there's something in this uh met with noel o'connor who's part of the insight sfi research center for data, data analytics i know that's a mouthful but um so we met, met, met up and, and, and I suppose it grew from there. So then we had this idea and we approached Dublin GA and the GA and said, listen, have this idea, doing something big and mad and would you be interested? And eventually everyone got around the table and said, yeah, let's just do it. Um, and I suppose the Moving Well, Being Well project is multifaceted, multifaceted in terms of um, we went out and we did a massive nationwide data collection um and john maybe i'm skipping too far ahead here but we made a, a massive big data collection across the country so over 2000 kids but we looked at their fundamental movement skills we looked at their perception of how they perform these basic skills so five ask a five-year-old are you good at running are you good at jumping yeah i'm deadly right yeah i'm deadly i'm really cool yeah i'll beat you in a race no problem and you, you can picture it i guarantee everyone listening be like yeah 100% Ask a 10-year-old how good are you at running and immediately what happens? They relate themselves to their friends. They relate themselves to the people maybe that they play sport with or, or don't play sport with, okay? Um, so so th this is why that's important and I'll come back to it later. We looked at their fitness levels. Their, 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 we did 
VO2 max. Uh, we ca- calculated VO2 max from doing beep tests. We did muscle strength. We did body composition. Uh, if anyone listening, we did not do beep tests with five and six year olds. Don't worry, we're not monsters. Um, uh, we just did it with the older sort of cohort. Um, but then crucially, we looked at the psychological side of things as well. We looked at their their self confidence, their body image, their my, their uh, well being, their motivation. Uh, all these different things and, and questionnaires for teachers and parents. And what we wanted to do was to get a snapshot of where Ireland is what, where it was at. Because what we realized from looking at the research that it's not just fundamental movement skills. They're not just the key driver. So the whole the key driver, we think, for people being active and all the research around the world is pointing towards this is physical literacy. Okay, And you probably hear this being bandied around the whole time and people often mistake physical literacy for just fundamental movement skills but it's more than that so it's it's physical competence driving confidence driving motivation which drives physical competence so let me explain that a little bit i'm sorry i'm rambling here so jump in uh, if needs be um john if you're able to kick the ball right imagine you're six or seven years of age if you're able to kick the ball you, you kids aren't stupid they know they know if they can do something or not you know you can kick that ball right that means you're confident to kick that ball, but crucially, you're confident to do it in front of your friends or in front of your family, right? Two key t- stakeholders, which means then you'll be motivated to take part in activities that require kicking that ball. With me so far? And then from that then, if you're more motivated to do it, you're going to take part in more activities that give you opportunity to kick the ball, which means you're going to get better at kicking the ball because you do it more often, okay? So you have this cycle. So we kick, we get more confident, we then are more motivated to do it, which means we get better again, right? So think about that for all these fundamental movement skills. Think of that bottom of our pyramid that I talked about earlier on. And imagine if we have that, that sort of cycle going. And we call it a positive spiral of engagement, right? So we have all these skills. We get good at their basic components. We get confident in it. We get, we're motivated to do it, which means we get better at all these skills. So we have this positive spiral all the way going up, okay? And why that's important is that that means if you're asked to do an activity so back to that example i used earlier on if you're asked to go out and play gaelic football yeah i'll give it a go no problem because i know i can kick i know i can catch i know i can run oh yeah i'll try and link them together no problem at all if i'm asked to go and play a game of basketball yeah i know i can run i know i can catch i know i can throw same for any sport or if i'm asked to uh to do dance and PE or to do gymnastics. Yeah, I'll give that a go. I know I've got good balance. I know I've I know I can uh I know I can hop, I know I can jump. Do you know that sort of way? So you're setting these kids up for for us, we're trying to look at setting the kids up to be active for life and giving them the tools to be active for life. Because and I'll stop talking in a second, I promise. Because on the other side of that, you've got what's called a negative spiral of of disengagement. So let's say all of us are in a class together, right? So John, Shane, Damien, you guys are all from sporty backgrounds and you're, you, you love sport, right? Love it. Every, you play everything you can get your hands on. Teacher throws in a ball for a game of football. Could be in PE, could be in yard, could be whatever. I'm not from a sporty background, let's say. My parents aren't that into sport. They don't bring me to sport uh, or for whatever reason, I just haven't done it. We're playing a match. You lads are loving life. You're passing to each other and, and Damien is driving through the middle there and he's, he's, he passes to John and he goes around one or two people and he passes the ball to me now john passing the ball to me is that's a a matter for debate another day right but um 
he passes the ball to me and the ball hits my foot, bounce off it, the other team get the ball and score a goal. So what's going to happen there, do we think? Of course, stop passing to you. Exactly. 100%, <laughs> right? So, so kids, the kids are going to... So John will stop passing to me. Other kids are going to notice I'm not as good as John or I'm not as good as Damien, right? Other kids are going to notice that. So it's not just you that mightn't pass it to me, John. It's everyone that mightn't pass it to me. But crucially, I'm going to notice that I'm not as good as you or I'm not as good as Damien or Shane, okay? So if that happens once or twice, it's no big deal. Kids are tough. They're resilient, right? But imagine that happens all the time. Imagine that happens every week. All of a sudden, I don't like football, okay? Six months, two years down the line, I don't really like PE. Ten years down the line, I don't like physical activity, all right? So this is where the importance of the fundamental movement skills comes in and how we actually teach them, how we progress them, and how we develop them. Because if we do that in the right way, with the right manner, we can get that positive spiral of engagement going rather than the negative one gives a really really good overview there's a few different directions we can bring it in from here now but to give one kind of analogy that just because i'm seeing it in the older age group 13 to 19 and all like that and and to, to liken it to something else in the same school setting is like because i'm biased obviously because from a hurling background but i see that as like the ultimate level of skill and to compare that to another subject i would see playing hurling at a really high level using a full range of skills is like analyzing sonnets written by shakespeare it's at a really high level of english and some people look at hurling as the same so when you start off with your five or six or seven year olds or we need to have them at the top level we'll start them off with you know a bit of hand passing striking off the left all like that but those who go on and study english at a really high level or even for leaving cert they're still starting at five or six learning their abcs then starting to put together a few really simple words then a few sentences then a few paragraphs and eventually go on from that that's the exact same for an awful lot of skills the key is that the fundamental skills, the ones you start off with, whether you go the Shakespeare route, whether you go be a brilliant sociological researcher, whatever like that, it's still the ABCs to get you there. And same then for the fundamental movement skills. You need to know those to open up all the opportunities that then come on top of that, regardless of what ultimate physical activity you finish up in or excel in or just use to guide health for life. Exactly that, yeah. I, I use the book analogy a, a, a lot, like... You don't teach kids to read by giving them the book. Exactly like you said, John. They teach the alphabet, sounds of letters, words, sentences. Eventually, they can read the book, you know? Another one, um, like, parents are... are oftentimes, when I, 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 and I would do a talk or I, I, um, people would approach me and ask me, oh, yeah, I, I'm really worried about my kids' fundamental movement, skill development, etc., etc. And I'm like, well, first thing first, brilliant that you're conscious and aware of what they are. But I said, you're the best teacher they can have at a very young age. I said, how did they learn to walk? So the kid picks themselves up. They, they pull themselves up on a couch or a table or whatever it is. And they'll stand first. And then you might hold the kids two hands and help them take a few steps across the room. And then it's one hand and then it's no hands. And they take a few steps until eventually they're walking on their own. So it's the same principle. We just want to... Um, provide put a, a safe environment where kids um, can can develop these skills in a in a like a, as best they possibly can a wide range of them and that you're providing so to use the coaching analogy or to, or to to fall back on the coaching research you're providing the scaffolding to help them get there okay so it's one step at a time okay if they if they fail it's okay they only fall a little bit whereas if you try and give them to the Shakespeare sonnet analogy if you try and give them that straight away 
rare write one of them when they can't even read properly like it, it, that that it's it's crazy and when you think about it when you break it down like this and when you go through it with people they go oh yeah and a lot of people have that aha moment but uh, there's still a lot of work to be done in, in getting that message out there and and realizing that th- these these this this broad skill base or this broad um this this foundation and th- and this whole the cycle of physical literacy it, it's not just uh, I can relate it back there as I'm speaking to you to to the um the reflective piece it's constantly evolving and it's a constant journey and it's all the time you're trying to if you give them the good foundation the other stuff will come and as you say they'll they'll end up taking part in whatever activity they want to take part in that's the key and and you just provide them the tools to do that there's actually a really good graphic i've seen it a few times and even i know sarah jane and johan your supervisors they developed the ypat course and i'm a tutor for that and we were on the trend day for it one of the lads shared it around but and it's just if you can't and it has it's an american one so r- a runner a swimmer and a chore and it has all this list of activities you can never get into because you can't run so you can't play baseball because you've run from base to base you can't play soccer because you've run after the ball same for swim then if you can't swim you can never be a swimmer obviously enough never do a triathlon never be a lifeguard can't really enjoy yourself at the pool even like when you go there so having all that there as a baseline when you did that snapshot snapshot study or cross-sectional research give it its fancy name what did you discover what, what actually are the fundamental movement skills like in ireland at the minute uh not great um so we released them uh, it's gas we released them last year and and for whatever reason um i think it was just in the middle of the election cycle and, and people were sick of hearing about politics to, to, but the the media picked up on it massively right and they've really focused on the the bad news p- parts of it you know but um so first of all we found that uh Skills aren't great. Um, so the one that, that everyone fixates on is the 75% have achieved running mastery. So this is kids from 5 to 12 years of age, right? Over 2,000 of them. 75% have mastered or nearly mastered the run. And now people might be saying, well, how do you know if they've run properly or not? So it's, it's standardized. These tests have been used millions of times in, in research all over the world and it's really simple there's like four components like one of the components that c- people c- kids commonly fail on is opposite arm to opposite leg so you picture Usain Bolt in, in a snapshot if that makes sense when you see him running and there you have a um, you, you'll see that that right arm will be up and the left knee will be up or, do you know that sort of way so that's one really common one and people say 75% that's not a bad score but when you look at it the opposite way that means 25% of kids can't run properly so John exactly what you said like how the hell do you expect them to take part in activities that, that run but but more importantly how do they feel about themselves running and how, how how many people preclude themselves from activities that involve running because they don't feel like they're as good as ev- their, their, their friends does that make sense like we also found um, uh, uh, like gender imbalances in terms of the girls uh, smash the lads in terms of their proficiency in um, the locomotor skills so that's moving your body so running hopping skipping jumping balance okay so the girls were way better than the boys in that up until the age of 10 okay the boys on the other hand were way better than the girls at all age groups in the object control skills so that's your kicking catching uh throwing all right all those type of skills do you think 
that's because they're kind of more socialized towards those type of sports or is it more of a natural male versus female thing and that's why they eventually go that route so or, yeah or can so you tell even we don't know so i can't say so exactly that so we could guess that uh stereotypically and uh, maybe more girls are put into gymnastics and dancing and stuff like that but at the same time there's an awful lot like the huge uptake in girls let's say taking part in gaelic football and stuff like that so i don't know i don't know is the answer stereotypically uh certainly when i was growing up more boys would go towards the object control sports and 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 girls towards the locomotor and balance etc right but we don't know but 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 what it's really interesting is that this now gives us information that we can act on right so it's not a case of oh god the girls are brutal at object control skills uh the boys are brutal as well. They're just better than the girls, if that makes sense. None of them have achieved mastery or where they should be. So all the research would say we should be able to master these skills by around about eight years of age, right? But remember what I said earlier on, that the research shows that kids are more active. Uh, when they master these skills early, they're more active in their teenage years, right? So now all of a sudden, we now can think, okay, well, here's something we can act on. So we now know if we focus on these object control control skills with girls at an early age and make sure we don't forget about them, make sure that we, we put a focus on developing them as well as the other stuff as well, the, the, the locomotor, obviously. But that can have an actual tangible impact. That can actually have kids more active in their teenage years, you know? And I suppose that's, that's the big thing for us. Like everyone focused on the bad news part of it last year, but there's the good news is we know we can impact this stuff you know we know that if we do impact that we can have a big impact we can increase activity in the teenage years um and like one other thing which was i suppose this is the most worrying thing for me that that, that we found that skill levels plateaued at around 10 years of age right and just for anyone listening that means that we had skill improvements from junior infants to senior infants, from senior infants to first class, and, and there are significant improvements. So that just means that they're important in terms of a scientific co- context, right? So um, these are flags for showing us to pay attention to these results. But we, so we had significant findings for every class all the way up to 10 years of age. And then from 10 to 11, nothing. 11 to 12, nothing. Actually, 11 to 12 was a slight decrease. It just wasn't significant. So what's that telling us? We haven't achieved mastery in these skills and then we stop progressing. So what's that telling us? Well, for, firstly, we can't t- say for definite. We can only guess, right? But our kids now at that age, they're becoming more self-conscious, right? They're becoming more aware of their friends and their social standing and their social status. So our kids now shying away from these activities because they know they're not as good as their mates they know they're not as good as their friends so so these are more questions that we have like we've more, obviously when you do research you, you end up with more questions than than answers but but again it's now okay we now we have a baseline now right there's loads of great research going on in ireland in terms of fundamental movement skills um like stuff going on in dcu you mentioned sarah jane johan in the adolescent sphere but but uh brown and mcgrain uh, um, in pat's dcu wesley o'brien down in cork um lisa kelly in athlone there's loads i'm forgetting I'm, I'm gonna get shot for leaving people out but there's loads of great stuff now so we now have loads of information we have a fair idea of where we're at or where we have been at over the last number of years so it'd be great now to see put put a focus on this let's we can we can intervene here we can make a difference and let's go back and see if we are making a difference. And I suppose that's where we're trying to get to with moving well, being well. Um, we've, we've piloted our intervention two or three sort of times um, and, and we've had really good impact, you know. 
And uh, I suppose, Stephen, I'm just wondering, um, say, a, a global scale, you know, uh, since a lot of these models that you would have used for uh, your research have been tested all around the globe. On a, on a global scale, where do we kind of sit um, with those skill masteries? Um, are we really far down the pecking order? And if so, is are we looking to adopt top model approaches from other countries or are we just kind of trying to... Uh, create our own approach so um globally we're down uh, sorry it, it's not just an irish thing that we're low and uh, low mastery levels of f- fundamental movement skills globally it's 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 pretty much everywhere um i'm not going to say we're we're way worse or way better than anyone else we're behind some countries but we're ahead of other like it's not uh, and, and i don't even think it matters that much I just think that knowing we're low is important, okay? And and our target shouldn't be, for me, let's get up as best. So the Canadians, the Australians, New Zealanders, they're miles ahead of us and all this sort of stuff, right? They, 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 they're, they're way ahead and in terms of the research and in terms of what they're trying to do. But, um, but I think what's important for us is we shouldn't be trying to catch them. We should be just trying to get to mastery level, if that makes sense, right? And I'm using as fundamental movement skills, let's say, as one part of it, right? We should be just trying to drive that to mastery level as early as we possibly can. And then at least we know that the kids have the, the basic tools, right? Um, and then there's other things like other people would argue then we should be adding cycling and swimming and stuff like that. And like, look, the more activity, the better, in my, in my opinion, right? But um, I think what's, what's important is that we look to promote these in the right way. So I'd, I'd hate for people to turn around and say, right, we have to drill this stuff now. And kids in a line and um, drilling, skipping and hopping and jumping. And great that we we, dri- we drive it in and they can do it, but we do it in the wrong way. So we don't increase the confidence and motivation to take part in activity in general. We just drill them in the, in the physical movement of it, right? Which would work to increase that those scores. But long term, I don't think it'll have that big impact because it's not they're not doing it by choice. They're not doing it by, by um, that. You know that they don't have that sort of intrinsic drive to do it. And when you look at the research coming out now about the um, the the what do you call it? The, the Daily Mile in schools, you're getting conflicting evidence now. OK, so you're getting you're getting some kids that are some schools that are saying it's, it's, it's fantastic. And don't get me wrong, like the, the, in terms of moderate vigorous activity running a mile or walking a mile fantastic right but now you're getting other you're getting conflicting evidence coming out now in the uk some really good research coming out questioning well hang on this is great for the active kids but are we turning other kids off running because it's forced upon them right i don't know the answer yet but i think it's really interesting because it fits in with the whole physical literacy thing in terms of that holistic model of developing them in the right way that 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 they want to actually be active and providing them with the tools to be active for life you know that's actually really interesting on um what i've been digging into lately in my own research and that I've, I've done a few pilot focus groups with a view to doing larger ones but the big thing coming out on how physical activity leads to greater enhanced well-being is through volition or doing stuff of your own choice of your own motivation and the controlled motivation or people forcing you to do stuff doesn't necessarily or doesn't just stop well-being but does actively decrease it so forcing people to do stuff they don't want to do or they don't have the necessary skills to do at the required level has, a, has quite a negative impact on under well-being overall 
Yeah, hundred percent. And a colleague of mine, Cameron Pierce. Uh, so Cam would have done the the um, the the PhD. We would have worked alongside each other, and I would have sort of been my focus would have been on the fundamentals, uh, the skills, and the physical elements. Whereas Cam would have focused on the confidence, self-efficacy, and motivation and stuff like that. And it's mad, like, cause I just, I slag Cam all the time, like you know, with your, your psychology and it's wishy-washy science and slagging and stuff like that. But to be honest, like. Like that's that's where it's at. Like if if we can convince the kids that they're great, it's if you could if you imagine bottling the five year olds' enthusiasm and being able to give it to the ten and twelve and thirteen and fourteen year olds, like that's that's the dream. Like if you can get them wanting to be active and wanting to go out and play and stuff like that, like there's your there's your that's like that's that's the the magic pill that solves so many of our health issues so many of our well-being issues so many of our mental health issues you know like it's it 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 really is like we released a study and john i know we were chatting briefly on it like we released a study there a couple of weeks ago that showed that basically kids the better their fundamental movement skills the better their health related fitness indicators so basically that's just really simple that's just um uh, we measured cardiovascular endurance, body composition, muscle strength, muscle endurance, flexibility, and these are all independently related to beneficial, positive health benefits. Okay, so decreased risk of cardiovascular disease, decreased risk of obesity, decreased risk or increased uh, bone health, uh, and de- de- decreased risk of of mental health issues and stuff like that. Right. So, we, what we what not only did we show that higher fms equals higher hrf but we also showed that it uh, we, we measured it over time right so i'm not going to say that it's a it's it's not a so there's this big thing in research where it's um causation and versus causality etc so i'm not going to say that it's a definitive answer but it's pointing us now in a direction it's given us a, a signpost to go look into deeper but we found that the relationship gets stronger as they got older right so for anyone listening it, that that means right so think about it that for example, the higher FMS, the lo- the lower the the waist circumference was one of the findings, right? So that but that got that that that's what we call an inverse relationship. But that relationship got stronger as we got older, right? So that was a stronger relationship in a twelve year old than it was in the eight year old. So we're getting that means that it's a better body composition score as they got older. So just think about the health ramifications that that has then. And again, the paper wasn't about um, saying you have to do this to have better health outcomes. The paper was showing, well, look, this, we, we talk a lot about fundamental movement skills. Well, here's a potentially tangible output later in life. Here's a potentially tangible thing that could have like really, really tangible out- outcomes for somebody's health. Okay. And, I, I think that's where we need to get to a point. And to be fair, like Sport Ireland have a 10-year plan now uh, for the first time ever, I think it is. But but physical literacy is littered throughout it, okay? So it's it's talked about in a, in a sporting context. It's talked about in a, in a school context, in a parental context, in a community context, which is fantastic. And I, I just want people, I hope people, anyone listening, um, that, that you just realize the, con- the, the concept... It, can be explained very complicated and hopefully i didn't ramble on too much and i've explained it relatively simply and and look it is complicated it's not as simple as how i explained it there's loads of different things and some people are probably screaming at me but i i sometimes think that we try and overcomplicate science like like it, it should be we need to give people the okay here's what we did trust us to, here's 
for the scientists go and look and make sure and critique and make sure we did what we did in the right way but here's what we found out right and here's some actions you can take from it because i think too often we we do science and we stick it on a shelf look at how great i am to other scientists but where's the output to that you know um so for me i think communicating that is important too and we'll just go on to a really good output you've had recently but just to think of the link between the fundamental movement skills and the health related fitness kind of on a practical level that if you think of an eight-year-old who goes on to be a 12-year-old who has a much better range of fundamental movement skills and you have all of the various opportunities available to you like Ireland football soccer rugby whatever it is you want to go and do you can go and do it so you're going to take part in just way more stuff and by taking part in way more stuff your fitness is going to go up because you're more active in general your waist circumference goes down because you're more active in general but also bear in mind that if you're good at a lot of that stuff there's a good chance you're probably doing bits of it at home with parents who value fundamental movement skills but also value being active being healthy you're probably in a friend group who values all that maybe like unbeknownst themselves as 12 year olds but they they all get better at the fundamental movement skills together and has that big knock-on effect and instead of that being something that happens in bubbles around the place if we can grow those bubbles and have knock-on influences to the wider population like really i think the knock-on health benefits of improving fundamental movement skills not for specifically what they are but the long-term knock-on effects would have such benefits to the wider community health ways yeah and think and, and then think about that right so you mentioned it as a fundamental movement skills uh, context there john but think about that like push that forward 10 15 years and they're teenagers and imagine having these as you said these bubbles imagine having these big bubbles still involved in physical activity still involved in sport like you're solving so many problems you you like it's 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 everything and then imagine then being able to expand that into into areas where where socioeconomic status comes into play or um like social social issues will say come into play and imagine giving kids an outlet or giving kids the tools early that they feel that they can avail of these outlets and to stay to, stay, to potentially keep them on a on a on a better track or a or a you know what i mean i don't like potentially keeps kids out of trouble like uh, being really simple and i know it might be oversimplifying things and i know opportunity and environment etc comes into play but i do think that there's an opportunity to intervene early and 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 to really really get give kids this really good grounding for life and and all the good stuff that comes with it through sport through being active through your friend circles through the the relationships with parents with teachers etc you know because you can see like the the impact the midnight le- the midnight leagues and stuff had in Chicago over there for improving social issues and everything that way. Yeah, I was just going to say kind of one of the big factors I would think would make a big difference when it comes to FMS would be family size or like amount of siblings. Was there much of a correlation between I suppose the positive scores and then it comes to people who maybe had two or three brothers because you know yourself like I don't know if you have any brothers but literally we spent the the entire of our childhood just driving our mom mad running around the house throwing stuff for no reason. Like just all that stuff, I assume that must have come in very handy then when you went across and you were going to measure those fundamental skills. That's that's actually a really good point. Uh, it's not something we measured. Uh, I'm trying to think, did we ask it in the questionnaire? Because if we did, I'm going back. There might be a paper in it. So uh, you might get a co-authorship out of that, Shane. We'll have to see. Um, a good afternoon. But, um, no, yeah, it's a really good point. And yeah, think about, like, I have one brother. I'm the eldest. So uh, he would he would say the same. He would say I knocked him around the place. But he would also say that he learned, learned a lot of, like, like, should you be out playing on the street? 
I mentioned the tarmac out in front of us earlier. Like, so there'd be four of us that would have played, like, would have been thick as thieves growing up. And th- there would have been uh, one older than me, uh, one of the neighbors. And then he'd have a younger brother who was maybe a year younger than me. And then my brother on them would be another t- year or two younger than him. So we had maybe a five year spell or gap. Uh, but we were all playing to hurling football, soccer, whatever. Whatever was the, the, the if Wimbledon was on, we'd be out playing tennis. If if uh, Mighty Ducks came out, we all got rollerblades and we were playing street hockey, that sort of stuff. So, but yeah, one hundred percent. And um, there's a great picture. Uh, Niall Miney uses it in presentations, and it's it, it's a picture of a load of kids playing on a road, and there's jackets down as goalposts. But you can see the difference in age range is maybe four or five to twelve or thirteen boys and girls playing. And then he compares it to a picture of a of a parent dragging a kid back back into the house, manky dirty. And then the next picture is a, the parent dragging the kid out of the house. And then when they're out of the house, the kids are just on a phone or they're they're on a screen, you know. So like it's a different time, and that's why I think this sort of stuff is so important. Um, uh, like I know I keep harping on about it, but the earlier we can intervene with this sort of stuff, I think the better, you know. And in terms of intervening i know the movement well being well project has recently brought out the movement breaks and stuff like that you know just gives a little lowdown on that and maybe where the next steps i know nathan has kind of followed on from your phd with more stuff where where are we going next what are the next steps for everyone yeah so we have we have and we have stuff on the review like papers and stuff like that around the intervention but as you know yourself john these things take time um so uh yeah we, we had a three-pronged approach so um i'll come back so the, the, I'll come back to the main one in a second, but we had um, movement breaks for the classroom. So very simple. We had them done as a PowerPoint, sort of a, a resource for the teachers to guide their class through. So something as simple as push your chair in behind your desk. Hold on to your chair. Can you stand on one leg? Can you stand uh, with no hands on the chair? Can you do it on the other leg? Can you do it closing your eyes? Real simple. And then advancing on to more sort of advanced stuff, right? We had a, a home activity. Um, that was the idea of this was that to to keep uh to get the kids active at home okay because one of the things that came back to us in terms of the research was that parents put down time as the biggest barrier to being active with their kids time so our hope was that that this home activity was a seven or an eight minute activity so it could be something as simple as go home get a pair of socks roll them up um can you throw them and hit the curtains or whatever? Can you do it with your other hand? How far can you throw it? How far can your dad throw it? How far can your mom throw it? Brothers, and, The idea was to involve everyone in the activity and the, the key teaching points for the throw were sort of laid out within it. So a bit of education for the parents in terms of the actual skill, a bit of crack and a bit of fun at home, but also showing them that it doesn't have to be hours upon hours of activity. Little 10 minute breaks, brilliant, like, you know, um, so that was the second part of it. And then the main part, I suppose, was um, so the, the project was in collaboration with the GAA all the way. So we had Dublin GAA and the GAA. Um, so originally they, they helped us get into the, the, the primary schools throughout the country and we, we piggyback, piggybacked on their existing infrastructure. But they, this time we trained up the coaches that were going into the primary schools anyway. And they went in and delivered a 30 minute um, fundamental movement based class, non-sport specific to a class but instead of just delivering it to the kids so the kids would get the benefit the teacher had to be on their hip so for example john you're the teacher i go in and i'm delivering the class and i'm telling you why i'm 
doing what I'm doing, if that makes sense. So this is why we're doing the hop today. This is what we're looking out for. And we gave them a resource that they could keep looking at or whatever. And the idea was then, John, that you would have to repeat that class before I came back to you the following week. Okay. So the idea was that we would train up the kids, but also train up the teachers and crucially train up the teachers in their own environment. So there's no point in us bringing in hundreds of teachers into DCU, big, massive, phenomenally modern sports hall with all the best of equipment, huge, huge, big gym. And then a load of teachers going back and not having a hall, first of all, or having a tiny hall or a small yard or a hall that they can only use half for because the other half's been used for rehearsing Christmas plays or whatever that might be. Um, so the, 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 again, it comes back to what I said earlier on. The context is crucial. So we need to be able to, to, to let the, allow them to be able to do these things in their own context. So that's what we would have done. Um, and we did that for six weeks and then week seven and eight, the teachers are on their own. So we would have tested pre and post and then uh, massive. Uh, and then we, sorry, we had a control group as well. And the control group means that we just tested them pre and post, but we didn't go near them. We didn't give them any resources or anything like that. So yeah, huge increase. Um, fundamental movement skills went through the roof on the intervention group. And they actually went down on the, the control group, but only like a 2% or something. So it didn't make a difference. That's just... It's not significant, as, we, as I said earlier on, so uh, we didn't have to pay attention to it. Um, and um, the big, t- big thing was the confidence went up as well, right? So confidence only went up. It only went up about 5%, right? But that's very significant because that's now when you're getting into behavioral change territory now, right? So I could go into the science and the effect size and all that sort of stuff. But I'm not going to because I'll just be boring everyone listening. But we were getting significant results in that regard, right? And And... Increasing confidence over an eight-week period to the extent we did was, was, was good. But crucially, we went back six months later, right? We had, didn't go near them for six months. And crucially, the, the, the FMS continued to develop at a greater rate than the control group. And confidence continued to develop at a greater rate. So whether that was the kids were just more confident or were playing it more often, or whether it was the teachers were more confident in continuing to try and develop we're not exactly sure. And, and that's stuff that you mentioned, Nathan is doing some brilliant work at looking at the efficacy and the rollout. Um, so we're not exactly sure, but we do know we had an effect. We do know we had an impact and we did, we did it. It was not, no cost to schools. It was uh, with minimal equipment. Uh, it was in schools, uh, their own environment. So they don't have to get a sub in to, to uh, cover while we're, we're doing a training or anything like that. Um, and uh, it, I suppose... To be fair to the GAA, they, they were very happy for it to go in as a non-sport specific type thing and, and to, to for that sort of greater good piece, you know. So um, that's what we did. The We've now upgraded the um, the in-class piece to those movement breaks, John. So uh, Una Britton is working on it at the minute. She's a, a postdoc in DCU and she's after turning around uh, 51 videos in a very short period of time. We're very lucky that there's a a green screen studio in DCU that we were able to avail of with through the teaching enhancement unit and um between herself and uh, uh we got Mara Coulter came in and gave us some some primary school PE expertise as well and the PDST PE actually came in on board and, and, and gave us some some uh, some great expertise as well. So we were able to produce all these videos and it's like 10 skills, 10 basic movement skills 
and there's four or five videos of each just three or four minutes per video uh, and we were lucky enough to secure the services of Muntar John who uh, I've played uh, from the homeschool hub and I played junior hurling with him uh, well I play junior hurling with now uh, whereas he's at a slightly higher level than that um, but yeah he came in and he was brilliant like and, and they're gone out and we've got great reaction to them so far so the idea is that they can be used in the classroom as a movement break in a safe covid compliant manner but they're also we've released them early now than we had plans just to to give teachers parents coaches anyone at home that they can be just can be done just as easily at home you know and long term say dream best case scenario instead of using movement breaks to as a way to nearly trick the younger people into getting better at fundamental movement skills would ideally we be looking to have developing the fundamental movement skills as a core component of the curriculum at primary level so they're seen on a par with your abcs your one two trees everything that way will we ever get to that stage and have we seen that kind of is it like that in australia and canada or is it still a bit more not fully embedded like i think schools get a raw deal primary school teachers have to teach 11 or 12 curriculum subjects they have nine to half two or nine to half one if you're an infants teacher and probably 40 minutes of that is a break and then they have to eat lunch and like like t- teachers <laughs> like it can't be the teacher's responsibility to do everything t- don't get me wrong right i'm biased i would have five hours of pe a week mandatory if i could and and, and, and as but uh and i know that the curriculum is under under review but i think the teachers get a raw deal it has to be coming from all angles it has to i agree we should definitely be doing more in schools and we should have it more like fundamental movement skills is in the curriculum but i think it should be more explicit i think it should be more junior and senior infants this is what you do you don't worry about so like fundamental movement skills will touch all of the strands of pe like you've got your 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 games you've got your dance you've got your gymnastics all that sort of stuff it'll touch all on all of those things anyway but i think it could nearly be here's your ABC of fundamental movement skills and here's what I want you to do in junior infants, here's what I want you to do in senior, here's your sequence and here's a, a, a barometer of where the kids should be. So definitely I think there's work we could do there and, 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 and there's enough research out there now at the moment that we could get to that scenario, right? But I think we have to look at the, the other pillars, like the other stakeholders. So uh, parents are huge, right? Kids are the biggest mimickers going, Right. Uh, did you ever see that picture the two owl lads walking down the street with their hands behind their back and then the the, the, the four-year-old walking behind them copying like kids will copy them then kids habits are formed at an early age like so be active with your kids people always go to me jesus i have to worry about kids now they're reading they're writing and now i have to worry about these movement skills forget about the terminology just go out and play with your kids bring them out for a game of football bring them out for a run bring them out to the playground whatever they like doing just if you're doing that you're 90 percent there right there's loads of resources we talked earlier on there's loads of drills out there there's loads of activities loads of resources do that um but uh just just the simple act of playing with them and being active around them that'll instill that that this is the norm this is oh yeah being active is part of our lives the other part of that is the community element so sports clubs i said earlier on coaches are underappreciated i think teachers and coaches throughout this covid thing now will hopefully come out of that being more appreciated and for the for the for the work that they do and the volunteer coaches in in all the sports across the country and activities they're they're phenomenal they're they're heroes most of them um 
Uh, and then on the other side of the thing, then from a societal level, from a government level, we need to be looking at communities where it's not as easy or there's not as much opportunity because with all the goodwill in the world, if there's no opportunity to be active, if there's no resources, if there's no if there's no green space, if there's no playgrounds, if there's no sports clubs, if there's no sports halls, like for all the goodwill in the world and all the good teachers, parents, etc., do, if there's nowhere to do it, then we're failing the kids. So, sorry, I got a bit abstract there on you, uh, John. Oh, no, that's fine. Now, oh, the first to agree as well that teachers can get an awful lot of very unfair blame for stuff like this. I also think though as well that if you picked out the worst primary teacher in the country and all they did was think back to when they were four, five and six, what memories they'd have, I don't know, and just did the same thing. They'd, make, like, they'd manage a bit of reading, they'd manage a bit of maths, they'd manage a bit of all like that. But there probably was no fundamental moving skill stuff done. Whereas I think to put it more of a core component on the curriculum that eventually it would become part of the overall culture that yes this is something we develop and because it'll take so many of the PE boxes it doesn't need to be every day I'd love if it was but it doesn't need to be but if you get two half hours a week that could bring things on an awful lot and would eventually embed that culture the other thing I'd really like to see and I think like there's obviously going to be issues with this and unions and all like that I would love to see specialised PE teachers in primary schools and like in big schools you could just have one day or where I am and we have three schools of about 20 each they probably would be on the road and there are like logistical things and stuff there that would impact it but I think that'd make it would take years to see to measure fundamental movement skills you'd probably see it quick enough but impact long term health of the nation I'd say 16 years later we'd probably triple our Olympic medals as well if you want to look at it like on a, on a Russian success style thing but I think the impact of that could be huge but to actually see that happen I think is, is a long way off if at all uh, yeah uh like specialized primary teachers i don't know like like primary the, the, like i've been all over like i've been in an awful lot of schools and i've talked to an awful lot of teachers like the majority of them are brilliant like they're they're brilliant and most like nearly all of them have only have the best interests of the kids at heart and like what i i think what we tried to do with moving well being well and i hope we achieved it and it's no by nowhere near perfect but it's it, we're, we're getting better every time we do it uh i what we're trying to do is give something really, really simple, really, really tangible and, and give them a way of, of measuring success. And like the teachers that took part in that, that initial trial for us, I never forget. And this is anecdotal, like it's not something we measured, but I never forget chatting to a couple of them afterwards. Very non-sporty as in and, and a PE would have been a subject where they didn't particularly not that they didn't do it, but it wouldn't be something that they particularly in, enjoyed doing. They preferred, let's say, doing the arts and stuff like that, which is absolutely fine. Everyone has like favorites and strengths. Everyone's human. But the, the confidence they gained, that they told us that they gained from it, right? It, 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 they, were, they were delighted with it. Do you know what I mean? And, and these weren't teachers that are just out of college or anything like that. These are teachers that are around a long time. And I think oftentimes when we talk about, yeah, let's let's get the kids moving and let's get get all that sort of stuff is but we don't forget like we don't want to forget about the teachers as well we can we can improve their confidence in these things and to be fair the pdstpe have that move well move often program and it's brilliant it's brilliant right and they're brilliant the associates are brilliant at what they do and i think i, I wouldn't give up hope on on, on uh, primary teachers as in i think with a little bit more help and a little bit more support we can we could we could uh, make a big change you know I think having it as a metric as well that they have to meet validates teachers kind of including it. So if you say, for example, if you have a young teacher who is quite sporty and does like coaching, 
they're more happy to include more coaching or more movement skills because they know it's something they'll be measured against. Whereas maybe starting out, if you're a young teacher, you know, right, the kids are going to be measured on reading, writing, maths. So I just had to focus as much time on that. And maybe PE or movement will fall by the wayside because it's not necessarily something that they'll be graded on. Or like if it's, if it's more tangible, it's more something that you have to put in regardless of your kind of feelings towards it. Yeah, 100%. And John, as you said there, where do you think in big picture? Big picture, it, it, like the dream for moving well, being well is that we can, we've, 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 we've tweaked and tweaked and tweaked that intervention now to where we think it's at a really, really solid state. And big picture, we would love to just roll that out everywhere. Like give it to as many schools as would want it uh, and, and, and just get out there and, and just provide that bit of support and, and provide that bit of assurance that, yeah, you're, you're doing, if, you, if you're doing this, you're going to be relatively on the right track in, in terms of, of getting kids um, getting kids active. And then from the researcher side of me, I, I'd love to then track it in terms of like, let's 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 create this living database of tracking all these things like they do it unbelievably well in in scandinavia like at, they do it at their equivalent of first class and they do their equivalent of fifth class and they do they've, they've identified like seven or eight key metrics so not just um reading or writing literacy or math or maths or anything like that they 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 look at physical stuff as well and i think that that's a really good way to go at it and and, and look at Okay, here's where we were. We've improved a bit. We've improved a bit and we're getting there. And as you say, John, then you see the really see the impacts then 10, 20 years down the line in terms of um, health, uh, the health system and, and not being under as much pressure as it needs to be. And, and, and people just being more, being healthier and, and, and having better well-being and all that good stuff. Yeah, that's an interesting point by Shane that like if there is something to measure against it it does put an onus back on people. You obviously don't want it to become something that they're teaching to the test, which like... You know, the leaving sort of sums up how, how many negative impacts that can have. I also think of a teacher in Inkle Kenny there beside me who just valued the school's performance at primary school level in Hurland so much that by the time most of them got to secondary school, like a lot of students couldn't really read or write that well, but they were all well able to win their own ball. <laughs> well, priorities, John, priorities. Serve <laughs> Kenny well enough. Just, I know we've taken up a good bit of our time there, Stephen. We were hoping to dig into a bit more on the podcast you host. If you just want to give us a, a brief little plug for it there, so if you can maybe switch across uh, to that yeah. and some of the guests you've had. Um, yeah, um, yeah, the coaching bubble. Um, yeah, uh, do it myself and Niall Williams. Um, Niall is... Uh, he's, he's, he's like your Jamie. So Joe Rogan has Jamie to do stuff in the background. <laughs> you and Niall for that. Well, he's he's taken to calling himself executive producer these days, you know. So uh, <laughs> yeah, I know, no, it's great. Um, Noel asked me to do this. That uh, this must be three years ago now. Um, we're recording season four at the moment. Um, it, it's just really enjoyable. Like it's 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 no more than yourselves. I'd say you just enjoy the chats. I love talking about coaching, and I get now to to spend an hour over the next few weeks, an hour a week. Um, talking to some really cool people who have done some really cool things and uh yeah it's really really interesting um th- our whole aim is breaking it down uh, like there's loads of elite uh coaching podcasts or, or elite master like finding mastery is a podcast i love michael gervais uh and that's at the elite end and that's fantastic but our whole aim is and, and we have to we sometimes forget but we what we try to do all the time is break it down for a grassroots coach so you get this elite performer but how can we break down what they're doing so that a grassroots coach could actually implement something of it if that does that make sense Um, yeah perfect sense because even thinking back to examples you mentioned earlier dr seamus kelly who's like 
very high up in terms of coaching research and knowing the literature and all like that but then he comes in and gives a good example like that's about bonding your team and bonding your team isn't going out in a session it's breaking them into groups watching the video teasing out what we did well teasing out what we need to work on and they're bonding but they're also bonding through something that's proactively going to help their performance and, and everyone like no matter what age group you're you can be like oh i could actually take that back and work with my team immediately yeah and do you know what uh, what's really been interesting to me over the years is all the top people that we've had on and the various different aspects of what they do in whatever sport they do or whatever like sort of niche they have within that sport the commonalities across them is mental like it's it's crazy um like they all self-reflect so they all reflect on their coaching practice and they they, they all try and get a, a a mentor or a buddy type of a thing in terms of bouncing ideas off or or bouncing their reflections off and getting that sort of stuff they all are athlete or person centered do you know what I mean? like like and it's gas because you read something like that in terms of the all blacks or legacy as in good people make good all blacks but these are these are top coaches and they're living it you know it's not just a, a, a phrase on the, the gym wall um and it's and it's amazing and like Liam Muggan, he talk, like Liam's brilliant like and you talk to him for hours and he's so enthusiastic and he's so but he just talks about like like you're coaching people first and foremost the sport is secondary and the amount of people who said something similar and and he just talks about like like at the end of the day he he talks about one of his greatest successes this is someone who has like all irelands and he's been with ken doherty and snooker and, and like athletics massive list of success and he classes one of his best successes is he sees a guy he used to teach um uh running three or four days a week and uh and and the, the guy said to him that he that that Liam had instilled that love of running for him in his teenage years as a PE teacher. And like, he classes that as one of his biggest successes. Like, like that's like, imagine being that humble after all the success he's had. Like that's for me, like that's just class. And and that type of stuff is, um, that the learnings you get from things like that is, is, is huge. Tommy Dawn, Tipperary hurling coach. He uses fun and enjoyment as a measure of success in his coaching. There's someone who's done it all at the, the top of his game. And he still uses fun and enjoyment for both himself and the, and the, and the players as a as a measure of success. No, it's it's a brilliant podcast, and the variety of guests are brilliant as well. And there's all it's not just the kind of wax lyrical about philosophies and stuff. They give you stuff to take away that you can implement immediately. It's absolutely brilliant as well. Lovely, no thanks a million for your time, Stephen. They can look you up on the coaching bubble, moving well, being well stuff. Yourself on Twitter, all like that as well. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for having me, lads.